you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink, and joining me today is a special guest host who you might recognize from previous shows especially around this time of year. Hi, I'm Noel Xavier, donor advisor here at Edmonton Community Foundation. So Noel, what would you like listeners to know about you? I guess I would start by saying I share your love of animals, Elizabeth, and I have two dogs at home and they're they're my babies. What are their uh, names? Oliver and Oreo. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, and I also share a love for Edmonton and I think we uh, we're very fortunate to live in this great city and I particularly uh, think we have a really great arts community here and uh, so that keeps me busy. Excellent. Thanks for introducing yourself. It's great to have you here and so let's get the show started. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds here at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast we share stories from the spaces where endowments and community intersect because it's good to be well endowed. Our first story takes us to one of Edmonton's most iconic theaters. If you're a fan of interesting movies, you may have seen a show at the Garneau Theater. It's just south of Edmonton's High Level Bridge, and it's got a very distinctive neon sign and marquee. But you probably never had a chance to visit the projection room or the bunker in the basement. I didn't know there was a bunker in the basement. Me neither. A nonprofit film society called Metro Cinema runs the theater these days. And by the way, Social Enterprise Fund gave Metro a loan to purchase equipment a while back. Metro Cinema staff took our history correspondent, Chris Chang-Yen Phillips, on a behind-the-scenes tour of the Garneau. Hi, I'm uh, Dan Smith, and uh, I work at Metro Cinema right now as the interim executive director. Hello, I'm Alan Mulholland, and I am the facility manager for Metro Cinema and the Garneau Theatre. Uh, so we're in the Garneau Theatre, which is at uh, 8712 109th Street, and uh, right now we are standing in the basement uh, of the theatre in what could kind of be described as a reverse uh, bomb shelter or bunker. Um, this is the room that originally held all of the uh, flammable film way back in the day, and so it is a very solid and secure concrete square. We're going to take listeners uh, from bottom to top of the building, show you some places that you haven't been before. And this is definitely a room I've never been in before. So this is like, what's that movie, um, the Quentin Tarantino one, where they set all the cellulite on fire? Glorious Bastards, yeah. So this is to prevent that from happening? This is to prevent that uh, that from happening. And, yeah. and it's actually funny because by the time that uh, this theater was built in 1940, they were using Kodak safety film anyway. So there really wasn't much nitrate film anymore. But it was the code, and, and uh, you'll see that when you get up to the booth, it's the same. It's like a big concrete bunker. So, huh. what uh, do you ever still roll anything that would be highly flammable? No, they... no there's nothing like that nowadays. <laughs> Actually, most of the nitrate film got used. That's why a lot of films ended up being lost, is that all the nitrate prints were used during World War II to make bombs. So, so they rendered a lot of it down to, uh, to make nitroglycerin. So. All right, let's head to the main floor. Uh, okay, auditorium. Auditorium. This is the auditorium of the Garneau Theater. Curtains closed. 
and uh, it is actually very much as it was when it was originally designed, except of course the screen is much wider. Square footage wise, how long does it take to clean up all the stuff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Uh, it takes a very, very long time. I think it's usually about, they finish about five or six in the morning. So, oh my God. so I would say it's probably, yeah, four or five, six hours. Yeah, depends on how busy the crowd is. <laughs> This theater was built in 1940. 1940. Was, was there enough demand to fill a theater like this in 1940? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The movies were big in 1940. And, uh, you know, given that it was war and there was no television, right, uh, if you wanted to find out what was happening uh, over in Europe, uh, you know, newsreels were obviously a big thing, right? So mm -hmm. there would have been people every Saturday pouring into the theater to see what was going on with the war. And Metro Cinema, the nonprofit film society that now runs the theater, has been in here since 2011. Cool. Projector. Yeah. Room? If you want to check out the booth, let's do it. Heading up to the projector room. Let's go backstage. Uh, so we're uh, we're up in uh, the projection booth of the Garneau Theater. And we have uh, our uh, projectionist here today. Uh, hi, I'm Brad Syme. I'm the head projectionist at the Metro Cinema. And uh, so we have how many projectors in this room? Well, there's three projectors. There's the digital projector on the far right, which is what 99% of what we show is screened off of. And then we have these two beauties here, the 35 millimeter projectors which we used to use all the time, but now we only use three or four times a year. Oh, really? Yeah. When I think of working back here, I always feel like it would, I would just, I would definitely mess it up like with the timing and it seems like a very stressful thing to go from one reel to another. Yeah, it is really stressful. When I'm doing my job well, nobody knows I exist. And if I, if, something goes wrong then everybody knows I exist and I look out in the auditorium and like everyone's head is turned back it's awful it's an awful feeling the worst so it's a it's a high stakes game where are we headed now um, so this is uh what is now essentially another uh, office uh, and storage space uh, and we store, I guess, more uh, technical gear, um, and it's a bit of a, a workspace for Alan as well. Many cardboard boxes and wires up here. Yes. Notably, the carpet in here is the original carpet from the lobby when the building opened. Fancy. Adds a bit of glamour to a, a room that otherwise uh, doesn't have much at this point. <laughs> so the last space we're going to take you, which we cannot go to today, but uh, which does exist, at the very top of the Garneau Theatre is uh, the attic. The attic uh, over that way that would be over top of the auditorium. It's, uh, it's a little dark uh, right now, so we probably won't venture in there. But it's full of more <laughs> storage stuff, mostly. Whoa! That's a nice view. So we're looking out from the roof, and uh, we can see the U of A from here. I think I can see the engineering building. Tori. Hey, there's the Seizure Stars transmitter tower and uh, a nice snowy view on the roof. <laughs> well, thank you for the tour of the Garneau Theater, Dan. 
Uh, thank you. Uh, it was uh, it was fun to take you around and show you some of the the spaces in here that people don't normally get to see. All right. Uh, and uh, what's what's one film coming up that uh, listeners might be able to see here that they wouldn't be able to see anywhere else in the city? Uh, well, we are opening exclusively The Irishman uh, uh, prior to it hitting Netflix, so they can uh, they can check that out in the coming weeks. Martin Scorsese's uh, new film about uh, at least one possible story about Jimmy Hoffa, whether it's historically accurate, we'll probably never know. So this will not be a Marvel film? This will not be a Marvel film, uh, is my guess. Uh, and Martin Scorsese would tell you that for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Yeah. That was Chris Chengian Phillips with a behind-the-scenes tour of the Garneau Theatre. Thanks to Metro Cinema staff Brad Syme, Dan Smith, and Alan Mulholland. Our next two segments are all about giving. We're going to introduce you to two donors. Well, one of our subjects is actually a group of donors. That's right. We're going to talk to a lovely woman named Diana Bacon and to the Financial Services Group. Both have different approaches to giving, but each have a wonderful impact. Just a quick note about these stories. We feature ECF donors on our show because that's who we have relationships with. And they have great stories to share, as all donors do. But we really do encourage you to give where it matters to you. It doesn't have to be with us. ECF is always happy to help. But what's most important is that you feel good about where and how you give. Tis the season, after all. Now, with that said, let's get back to it. Diana Bacon describes herself as an average person. She's now retired from teaching, and she's also managed the Edmonton Youth Orchestra and has been an active volunteer in her community. And she's a longtime donor here at ECF. Our correspondent, Caitlin Crashaw, sat down with Diana to find out what inspires her to give the way she does. Hello, everyone. I'm Caitlin Crashaw, and I'm in the studio today with Diana Bacon, who is a longtime supporter of the foundation, who established a donor-advised fund almost 20 years ago, as well as a separate scholarship fund benefiting young musicians in the Edmonton Youth Orchestra. Um, welcome, Diana. Thank you. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Lovely to meet you, too. So I thought I might start off um, with asking you a bit about yourself. Can you tell us what brought you to Edmonton several decades ago? My husband was taking a, a postgraduate degree at the University of Alberta, so we came out for a year and stayed. This was 1965. Yeah. What made you want to stay? Well, we didn't really, but um, the, <laughs> the job we were offered back up north didn't appeal to John, so he looked around and there was a principalship of 30-room school in Barhead and went from there. Oh, wow. I was glad in the end because we met our kids who could take music lessons and so on, which we wouldn't have been able to or have. What was life like here for you and your family? Well, we didn't have any money, which helped, so I just stayed, <laughs> we just stayed home. And the, the two older boys were in school and the two little ones were at home. And uh, I just enjoyed it very much. And, uh, well, I, got, I, I was pretty adaptable. We had moved a lot before that anyway, so we moved a lot after we came to Alberta. I think my two older boys went to 10 different schools before they finished high school. So, But I've been in the same neighborhood now since 1974. So, I only went back to school because my husband was going back to get his doctorate, and we could only live for one year on our savings. So I went and took my teacher training, and then we had half an income the next year because I only ever taught half time because I wanted to be home with the kids. Yeah. yeah. So, no, we... we we were very frugal people. Um, and you ended up teaching kindergarten for a few years? Uh, yeah, not very many years because I ended up managing the youth orchestra when the previous manager had died. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
that was not a salaried in, uh, position, but it was fun. Yeah. How long did you do that for? Only 10 years. Okay. Yeah. What did you like about it? Oh, well, the, the kids are, you know, the, the, the sort of kids that get into the youth orchestra are very interesting kids. Yeah. Um, they have to be good students or they wouldn't be able to cope with the level of musicianship that they achieve to get into the orchestra. And uh, so you're dealing with, with very, very interesting young people and very few troublemakers ever. <laughs> and uh, I won't say never, <laughs> but no, it was such an interesting group. And of course, it, you know, I support the arts, so it was a very, it fit. Yeah, and you have continued to support the youth orchestra, right? Through uh, your through your fund, your family fund, right? The family fund. Well, I I started it um, mostly to 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 maintain some um, continuity for the youth orchestra because I wanted they were putting it into their um, endowment fund. Um, then I when it grew quite a bit, I put half of it into some other social service type fund in the city. Now, you mentioned my scholarship. I didn't start it. That was actually a, my going away present oh, when I really? retired from the youth orchestra. Ah. And for a while, they had it invested somewhere else, and it didn't grow much at all. And uh, then when they put it in with the, into the community foundation, of course, it did much better. So it has grown quite a lot since then. And for a few years, every time I gave a donation to the youth orchestra, they'd put it into my scholarship. So it now is big enough to give two scholarships, which I'm very happy about. I was speaking um, with the general manager there, and she was telling me that that there is a scholarship for the senior musicians and one for the younger ones. It was very nice of them, and I, I appreciate it because they allowed me to choose the criteria for getting it. Yeah. And that was really nice. So the, I, I, because most all the other scholarships are really just based on how well you play. I wanted one that had to be a good musician, but I wanted it to, to recognize other contributions of the youth orchestra members because what would they, in, in, high, in school, they would call the citizenship award. But it's, you know, for, in other words, the sort of kid that you'd say, well, will somebody help me with this? And they'd be the first in line. When, you, um, when you're raising your kids um, and you and your husband were living on a pretty, pretty limited income, you were still giving to charity when you could. Yes, we didn't give very much in those days no. because we didn't have it. I didn't really start giving any sizable amounts, I mean, sizable from my point of view, yeah. until um, the kids were all grown up, you know, then I could. Yeah, and you connected with the Edmonton Community Foundation in the year 2000. Yeah. Um, what made you connect? What made you want to work with the foundation rather than giving perhaps more directly to different organizations? Well, I don't actually remember how I found out about them, but I, what I liked about it was the, uh, well, the fact that millions make, you can get better interest rates so that the more people put their money together, the higher returns, the higher returns. And so a small fund like mine um, will get the same interest rate as the, uh, the great big million dollar ones. So I thought that was, a, it was ideal. And um, it was just at the time when it became, um, from the tax point of view, it became sensible to give shares. And uh, I was one of the people trying it out <laughs> and uh, found out it worked very well. Because you weren't so keen on holding on to shares. I didn't like being a shareholder because I don't like companies that say, well, we have to always take care of our shareholders first. And I would rather they took care of their employees first and the pensioners. So mm -hmm. that was another... Yeah, um, so by donating those shares... yeah. 
I got um, rid to of charity. Them. You got rid of them. Now, this probably is too much information, but yesterday I was talking to a friend in Ontario who happens to have a lot of money and no family, no children to leave her money to. So her tax advisor said, you've got to get rid of all your shares. And she's had a wonderful year donating shares to all the charities that she likes. And so we were, because I was telling her about my interview with you, and it was so funny, the the excitement in our voices (laughs) when we were discussing this. You wouldn't think anything like that would be exciting. But it is for old ladies, you know, to be able to, to think what fun we can have. You know, with money. Yeah. <laughs> and money we don't need. <laughs> what I always referred to it as my play money. I like your attitude. Um, a lot of folks with all kinds of different incomes hang on to their money. You know, they choose to save a lot of it um, to give to their children one day, or they, I don't know, they, they invest in themselves. <laughs> um, what makes you want to invest in your community as you do? Well, the, the community is where we live, right? And um, I, well, I only have two of my children here in town, but they live in this community. They get a great deal out of the community. We all do. I mean, we, we don't know we do, but we, a lot of, if you look down the list, for instance, of funds, so many of them make our lives better. And uh, I've benefited from a lot of these things. And, I mean, the arts organizations, the ones that are preserving, say, our wetlands and, and so on. And um, all these these funds um, go to help make our lives what it is. And think without them how, how drab our lives would be. You know, and I mean, Edmonton has, has got the most active um, arts scene, I think, of anywhere in Canada. Uh, you, you look at the summer activities even, you know, it's just one thing after another. You could go to something different every day, and then many days you'd have to choose yeah. between several. So, And that's because of people... Making well, contributions. I mean, a lot of these little organizations, like the, oh, take the Edmonton Recital Society. I mean, that just wasn't the first one that came to mind. They run little little recitals in Trinity Church. Well, without help from donors, they wouldn't survive. And when, and these musicians that get to play wouldn't have those 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 gigs, and yeah. the audiences wouldn't have those opportunities. So, I think we, the only reason forgiving is because we all benefit really and as far as giving to your kids yes I think kids come first and grandchildren and so on um, but they don't they don't need all your money yeah. and um, and they, they need that you know most of them are employed um, and they have they're, they're doing the same sorts of things so do you like that idea that your your kids will continue oh yes in fact I, I always bring at least one of them to the uh, annual general meeting so that they're they're keeping current on what's going on yeah. two or two of them live in Alberta and of course the way that the the way it's set up for instance um, when you well the, the two that, that live here are my executors and they will also be the ones who will have to make the decisions but of course they will discuss it with their two brothers so it's uh, you know, I think the more families are involved, the the, the better. And uh, well, I whether they choose to keep on contributing is up to them. But at least they'll be responsible for distributing the the proceeds every year. So your kids have adopted your same oh, yes. attitude towards. Well, giving, they're bound giving. to, aren't they? You know, if they if they if they grow up in an environment where you know society is as important as family or perhaps second <laughs> to family, then uh, they can't help but be like that. 
And I think I told you yesterday that my, my daughter-in-law in the symphony started a few years ago giving collecting for the food bank every during the December concerts. And I know last year it was around $20,000 they raised in one month, so just passing the hat of intermission. So, you know, obviously, you know, her family was the same. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just glad that the kids, you know, are, their spouses are, are, have the same thoughts they do. How do you decide every year how, you know, what funds you're going to support? Oh, is that, that difficult? Is so, that's very difficult. Um, ECF is very smart. They send me some suggestions. And and quite often I will choose from one of those. But not I'm not sure if I've done that. They, they've only done that the last few years. Because I give half to the youth orchestra approximately, I uh, that's easy. But... Um, and I know one year I gave the other half to the symphony, and then I started to think, well, no, I think half to the arts is enough. Half must go to something else. I, I just look through the list and try to find something that I think needs my help. And also, I, I have consulted with, um, I think it was Matt this year, um, and asked, you know, what, 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 tell me about this particular group, and I'll see whether that fits what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I ask around, talk to the kids, but yeah. mainly I, I just go on the basis of, gee, that sounds good. Well, I understand you're also, um, you've also named the Edmonton Community Foundation um, as the recipient of a life insurance policy. Just a small one. It's worth. It's. I think it's worth now about ten thousand. So it's not a big one, but it's it's a little one that I bought when I was twenty one, and at that time it was worth two thousand, yeah. and it cost me the great sum of thirty four dollars and twenty six cents a year, <laughs> which of course I've had now for sixty something years. Good to hold on to these policies. Years. But that's not you know not very much money to put in, and it's it's done well. When we spoke. Um, before, you were telling me more about your philosophy of of donating. I want to give to the society that 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 we all live in, and that's about it. I, I don't really yeah. have a more deep yeah. philosophy. <laughs> I only give money that I I don't need, you know. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, it's better. I think a lot of people feel that, but it's hard. It's harder to do just unless you really plan to do it. Like, it sounds good, and, and it's so easy. I mean, we all get every day in the mail another request for money, and it's easy just to sort of write a quick check and get it over with, And but then you'd be getting awfully sick of that. So I really like the ECF because it's a, it's a bigger amount every year, but it's also going in, a, in, in the directions that I really want, not just that somebody's talked me into by sending me something. Thank you for being here today, Diana. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm always happy to come to ECF. Thanks very much to Caitlin Croshaw for bringing us that story, and a warm thanks to Diana Bacon for spending some time with us. It was really fun for me to listen to because we've had the opportunity to work with her over the years. She's just wonderful and so charming. And she mentioned in there about giving shares. Yeah, I heard that. Is that common? It's actually really common. We've already received several donations of shares this week alone. Why would somebody give shares rather than just cash? Well, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they might have shares in their portfolio that they no longer need, and maybe those shares have uh, grown in value, and if they try to sell them now, there's going to be a big capital gain. And by donating the shares to a charity, they eliminate the capital gain. That's probably the main reason. 
I imagine, too, that shares wouldn't hurt as much either. If you if you had to give cash all the time, then, you know, you might start counting your pennies. But shares just sit there and you don't really think about them very much. That's true. When you're giving a gift like shares or mutual funds, too, you're giving from a different place. When you're giving a gift of cash or writing a check or a credit card, then that's coming out of your cash flow. And that might make a difference for some people, especially at this time of year. What else should we know about giving stocks or shares? Well, the main thing is that they take a little bit more time to give than just writing a check or giving someone your credit card number. Here at the ECF, we've let our regular share donors know that they really should start the process by December 1st. And that's because we want to make sure that everyone has a chance to get their gift in before December 31st, which, of course, is the deadline for giving for this year. Why is that an important deadline? Because then you don't get your tax receipt for this year. So for any of our listeners out there, if you are thinking about making a charitable donation before the year end, make sure that you reach out to your charity of choice and let them know or send them the gift with enough notice that they can get it processed before December 31st. And also remember that a lot of charities may be closed over Christmas, so you might have to do this even before the 25th. But I could talk about this all day. We really should get to our next guest, Elizabeth. Sounds good. Our next guests are father and son, Gary and Scott Kwasnicha from the Financial Services Group. This is a really cool example of how businesses can give back to their community. Marianne Roberts, who joined us this summer as an intern, sat down with Gary and Scott to find out what they do. I'm Marianne Roberts here with the Edmonton Community Foundation. I'm sitting here with Scott and Gary from the Financial Services Group. Hi guys, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. Could you maybe tell me a little bit about the Financial Services Group? Financial Services Group was founded in 1977. We're 42 years old, and basically, with the support of my wife, Myrna, been able to, you know, run a pretty successful business, and we're blessed now to have our son, Scott, move into our business, so he's transitioning in, and we're transitioning out, so we're hoping he'll keep us around another four years. And then uh, we'll be able to be full-time with grandchildren and horses and and, uh, get on with retirement. So at the Financial Services Group, you did start the Financial Services Group Community Trust Fund. Why did you decide to start that fund? I guess the main reason we started the fund was my parents, Gary and Myrna, have always been very charitable and our entire office, to be fair to everybody. And, you know, we came across a community foundation at one of their events we were invited to and and really felt aligned with their principles and of setting up something that would last a little longer than, you know, our annual donations and quarterly donations that we did. And with Gary and Myrna transitioning out, I wanted to create a little bit of a legacy for the business and for them that would carry on, you know, kind of forever, I guess, is, is the whole purpose. So um, I really had a good meeting with uh, one of the donor advisors here at Edmonton Community Foundation, Matt, and really got our whole office excited about starting the fund. So So how does the fund itself tie into your company culture? Well, we've always believed that the entire team has just continually given back and believe that there's life beyond us. And I think The clients that we meet, when you're completing a financial plan, a big part of plan and being tax effective is being charitable. What's really happened in Alberta in the last four years 
we've gone from the lowest tax province to among the highest. And as soon as that happens, there's a whole lot more emphasis on planning and maybe placing your dollars so that you receive the charitable tax credit and then have a choice. The big thing now is to have a choice about where your charitable dollars go. So I understand the fund's first grant was to the Briarpatch Family Life Education Centre. Can you please explain to me the level of impact you've witnessed from this grant? I would say we haven't, I guess, witnessed the impact yet. The reason we chose that cause was because of the impact that it had had already on one of our team members. And it is just an amazing cause for young families and older families that are having children or lose children, whether it's during pregnancy or after. And it's just basically a big support group of families that are, have went through that. And, and I think it's, it's difficult for young families to go through that alone. And if there is groups out there that have experienced something similar, it's, it's important to have that support. So Delta in our office did go through that, and it was a really easy decision for us to support that cause because of the, you know, the impact that it had on her and her family. And honestly, uh, you know, I'm 36 years old now, and I have a lot of friends. We're all in this baby stage, and and I've had a lot of impacts there, or it's had a lot of impacts on that group of my friends. So I think it's a pretty important cause for a lot of people, not just our office, for sure. And just to add to that, Scott, is we have a client that's also contributor to the Edmonton Community Foundation, which you find out along the way. And she shared a story with us. She, We wrote about Delta's situation in our newsletter. She received it and then shared back with us that she too had lost a brother at a young age, so now you have somebody that's lived seven decades that tears up a little bit and shares a story about a loss that family experienced. So just the awareness that it doesn't just happen to 36-year-olds, and I think that's important, just the awareness. What is the long-term impact you hope to see created through the fund? Well, I'm an optimist. I'm hoping I live long enough to see this fund grow to over a million dollars. It's currently at about 62000 in two years. There's lots of work to do, but uh, the impact is that we, on an annual basis, will be able to generate 4% of the fund and share that with the community. So, you know, at $100,000, it's $4,000 a year that we can share. At a million dollars, it's 40000 And just to know that someday that 40000 could live forever. And if we didn't make it, whatever amount we generated would have, I just believe, would just have a big impact on whatever organization we chose. So when you are deciding which charities that the fund will be donating to, what are some of the considerations you take into account? Well, for the first few years, our fund has kind of created a committee internally of three people to just come up with ideas to pick pick charities that are important to us. I mean, we do look at a lot of things like how many dollars are going towards the cause versus, you know, administration and things like that. So we do our due diligence in that perspective. But 
at the initial outset, I think we all have things that are important to us. And because we all contribute to the fund, we'd like everybody to be a part of it and have causes that are important to them. As the fund continues to grow, you know, we're just going to hopefully eventually get to the point where, you know, we possibly take applications for our dollars from local organizations and and maybe have like a selection committee versus a committee that we pick internally. So that's a goal for us as well. And, you know, it is important that they align with our culture and our causes. And and we are pretty broad in that scope. So we're excited to see where it might end up. What has your experience been like working with ECF? Well, I think it's amazing. The follow-up, the guidance, the sharing of ideas, the commitment, it just totally aligns with how we do business and what we believe in. And it's it's been over the moon. I'm really, really pleased. Well, that's great to hear. What are some ways people can find out more information about the fund? We are on Facebook. So, of course, that's the number one thing these days. So on Facebook, we're under Financial Services Group, and we have had a few posts about the fund. And then we also reference our website, financialservicesgroup.net, where we have information about the fund, why why it was formed, we try to keep updated with our causes, and then, of course, somewhere to donate specifically to our fund. But I do encourage everybody to just look into the Edmonton Community Foundation. There's so many unique causes that cover everything. So different passions that are important to people are likely in there whether it's music or arts or sports or or whatever, I think it's just a great place to look if you're looking for places to put your dollars. So uh, I'd encourage people to go there as well. I really believe everybody should look at their plan, their estate plan, and create a fund maybe in their name, something that would be important to their community if they grew up in a small town and wanted to create something for sports or education or childcare, agriculture, whatever. And hopefully we haven't limited this interview to just financial services group. And, and when, they, when you look at the people that have been involved with the Edmonton Community Foundation, you don't need a lot of money. So that's probably the biggest message. Absolutely. And when creating a fund, like you were saying, the most important thing is to choose something that is important to you and seeing that impact grow through something that you're passionate about. And so it's great to see that that was the major contributor as to why you started your fund at the Financial Services Group. Well, thanks so much for joining me, guys. You're welcome. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks to Marianne Roberts for bringing us that story. And we really appreciated Gary and Scott Kwasnicza sharing theirs. Do you have a fund at ECF, Noel? As a matter of fact, I do. It's a donor-advised fund that I started about five years ago. So that means that I get to uh, make recommendations every year on where the fund should grant to. And that means that I get to choose from a lot of different really worthy organizations in our community. That's what I love about giving to the Community Foundation. That's great. And, you know, wherever you're going to give this season, be sure to reach out to that organization, see what they need, and how it's best for them to receive your donation. That's a great piece of advice, Elizabeth. If you need some ideas, you can check out our strategic granting guide on our website, ecfoundation.org. And we'll have the link to that in our show notes, along with more information about our guests and other donor resources you might find handy. Well, we're nearing the end of the show, but don't go just yet. We want to give you money. 
If you're a charitable organization in the Edmonton area, you could be eligible for up to $50,000 from the ECF Community Grants Program. This grant can help your organization with all sorts of needs. So head on over again to ecfoundation.org or check our show notes to find out more. The next application deadline is coming up fast on December the 1st. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of the show. Noel, thanks so much for hosting with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you to all of you amazing listeners for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. And if you have time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are a big help. You can also follow us on Facebook. That's where you can see pictures and tell us what you think. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Bonking. And Noel Xavier. Until Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.